Welcome to the Be Perfectly Healthy podcast, an integrative health podcast by Center for New Medicine. We created the Be Perfectly Healthy podcast as an extension of our mission to educate and empower individuals along their health journey. This integrative health podcast will bring you in-depth expert interviews on a plethora of health topics. Tune in bi-weekly for interviews on how to create a non-toxic lifestyle, integrative approaches to treating complex health concerns like diabetes, Lyme's, Hashimoto's, Crohn's, adrenal fatigue, mental, emotional, and spiritual health, cancer prevention, early cancer detection, integrative cancer treatments, and so much more. Through the Be Perfectly Healthy podcast, we hope to provide cutting-edge, science-based information you can use to create a happier and healthier life for you and your loved ones. I'm your host, Leanne, and today we have Dr. Roni back on the show to talk all about the Cancer Center for Healing's four-pillar approach to cancer and really what each of these pillars incorporates, why they're so pivotal to treating cancer, how this four-pillar approach really differs from a more conventional approach, kind of what gaps this four-pillar approach fills Something I want to make sure everyone is aware of is the Cancer Center for Healing does cancer classes virtually through Zoom. And previously, these cancer classes were only available to patients of the Cancer Center for Healing. But at the end of this episode, Dr. Roni kind of announces that they are now opening up these cancer classes publicly to anyone who would like to join. Currently, the class is capped at about 500 people, but this is something that they are doing every other week. So twice a month, they're going to have these public online cancer classes where really Dr. Roni is doing exactly what he did in today's episode is just educating about all of the different facets of an integrative cancer approach. So definitely check the show notes because first of all, there's links to tons of resources about all the different testing and treatments that we mentioned in this episode, but there will also be a link to sign up for the next upcoming cancer class. Again, it's through Zoom and it's free, you guys. This is free. This is literally like free gold that the center is giving out. I'm so excited and really just so honored that this is something they want to be able to offer to the masses for free to make sure that this information is available to everyone. As always, thank you guys so much for tuning in and I really, really hope you enjoy this episode with Dr. Roni. Well, Dr. Roni, welcome back to the Be Perfectly Healthy podcast. Yeah, great to be here as always. So we're talking about a topic that, as you just mentioned, you're discussing all day long, every day. Yep. But we're going to really break down the, the Cancer Center for Healing's four pillar approach to healing. Perfect. So let's just start off with give us what are the four pillars. And then we're going to do a little compare and contrast with conventional cancer care. And then we're going to dive into really what is in each of these pillars. So what okay. are the four pillars? <laughs> okay. So first and foremost, I came up with the four pillars as a way... My brain works very analytically, so I need to see it and then 
articulate it to patients so they can see it. Because when they first come in, it's just information everywhere. So we have to be able to apply that information and compartmentalize it, mm -hmm. if that makes sense. So the first pillar is going to be the testing. So testing could be MRIs and CAT scans and PET scans and biopsies and ultrasounds and things like that. Those are the tests that most people understand. Mm -hmm. But then there's more tests that we do here that can start individualizing the care, right? So just a quick comparison, conventional is pretty much to a degree cookie cutter, mm -hmm. right? We wanna start uh, doing a more personalized and individualized care plan because everybody's different, mm -hmm. right? Very simple. So for instance, the RGCC test, that's a test we send to Greece that can tell us the chemo agents that your body's most sensitive to, the natural agents your body's most sensitive to, as well as the circulating tumor cells. So then, you know, beyond all the tests that I just mentioned at the RGCC, when we get into pillar number two, right, we can then figure out the best plan of attack. So what I, what I basically explain pillar number two is, how are we going to attack this cancer? Mm -hmm. Is it going to be conventional chemo or radiation or surgery? Or in here, lower, less invasive means like low dose chemo. So we bring the blood sugar down and we infuse the chemo agents from the RGCC. So what that does is it better targets the cell mm -hmm. and then uh, the chemo agents are more specific to you, which ones you're more sensitive to. So again, it gives us a little more uh, detailed or specialized plan. So pillar two, pillar one is the testing. Pillar two is what treatment are we going to need? Mm -hmm. And honestly, it all depends on what comes back. So if it's a super aggressive type of cancer and late stage, for example, we might have to do some more aggressive approach or aggressive treatments. If it's something that we can get away with doing more low dose or, uh, or what have you, then we'll figure that out. But our job is to basically look at the testing, try to individualize it and make a good plan for you or at least give you some help with creating a good plan within that attack phase. Mm -hmm. Pillar number three is immune boosting. Your immune system is under great attack already when cancer has developed in the sense that it's dysregulated and it's probably a bit weak, quite mm -hmm. frankly. So immune boosting, whether it's vitamin C IVs or mistletoes or some of the supplements or whatever, there's a myriad of different things that we use. We always want to increase your immune system's capability to fight the fight itself. Mm -hmm. So that's pillar three. And then pillar four, which is high importance, is what caused it, right? So we we've talking before we uh, got on the air, if you will, um, <laughs> we talked about the fact that the cell goes through damage. The DNA of the cell, a cancer cell, is damaged. What should happen is it should go through programmed cell death on its own. So if it's old or damaged, it should kill itself, mm -hmm. basically. It's called apoptosis. But what happens is we have oxidative stress that damages that cell programmed death. And then if that happens, then those damaged or old cells replicate out of control. That's cancer. Mm. Now, if you work upstream a little bit, free radicals create the oxidative stress. And so a free radical is an unstable atom that then causes oxidative stress. Then you have to go upstream a little more and say, well, what caused the free radical damage? And that gets into pillar number four. Is it somebody's eating habits? Is it their gut health? Is it that they're overexposed to toxins and chemicals? And, and or do they have infections like bacteria or viruses? 
and or fungal infections? Is their stress too high, creating a suppressed immune system, creating acidity in the, in the environment, creating hormonal imbalances? Do they have too much exposure to electromagnetic fields, the EMFs? I mean, that list goes on and on, quite frankly, but pillar four is then us trying to work through a checklist with each patient to determine what caused the free radicals, what caused the oxidative stress, and what caused damage to the DNA. Mm -hmm. And that's, to me, that four, those four pillars, now we're touching on them, but those four pillars creates a very good plan that maximizes somebody's healing potential. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> what I want to point out is that, and we'll, we can maybe dive into this a little bit, is I think really the conventional cancer care is, there's only two sides to it. It's testing and then killing, yeah, basically. That's right. So it's kind of the first two pillars, but it's not even as in-depth as the Cancer Center for Healing's first two pillars are of testing and treatments. So... And we, I think the majority of the people know, like, can you just touch on though conventional yeah. cancer testing, what does it involve? And then convincer, conventional cancer treatments. And yeah. then we'll dive into our pillars and how they're different. Yeah, basically it's designed to, to determine whether you have cancer, right? That's really the gist of it. Again, whether it's the CAT scans or MRIs or PET scans or biopsies or ultrasounds, and also some of the, the basic tests that they'll do to determine mm-hmm. whether you have cancer. So that, that objective is designed from a testing standpoint to say, okay, now what do we do about it? And mm-hmm. then the conventional model, it's either cut it out, they're gonna chemo, do heavy dose, high dose chemo, or they're gonna radiate. Mm-hmm. Usually, all, right. All three. <laughs> or all three, that's exactly yeah. right. Which again, if I make a, a really good point in this podcast, it's like, okay, that's the byproduct. The, the cells replicating out of control is like step three in the, pro- it's the last step. That's what happens at the end. So conventionally, they're just looking at the end product, which is kill the cancer and band-aid things, okay? But it doesn't necessarily look at what caused it. It doesn't look at the uh, immune system and how that has become affected. So essentially what happens over time is there's still circulating tumor cells that are there, but the scans and everything look good and the immune system is still dysregulated in a person, and they still have the same causes that were there before, mm-hmm. right? Yes. So yes, we may have killed the cancer cells, and they're no longer detectable, so to speak, but our environment is still set up and conducive for those cancer cells to come back. Mm-hmm. So we see a lot of reoccurrence because three and pillar three and four weren't done. Mm-hmm. And that's the inherent difference. Yeah. It's going a little bit deeper. Yeah, well, I think really they're just, they're only asking two questions. Is it cancer? If yeah. so, what kind? That's right. And that's where it stops. That's and right. then it's like, great, let's radiate, cut, or chemo it. Yeah. Done. And, and listen, I'm not saying that that's always bad. Right. We may have to in, in our clinic when we get all the data back and the testing that we uh, that we talked about just a minute ago, the doctors are going, hmm, ooh, right. It's either I always say to the patients either. Oh, or ooh, right. Mm-hmm. It's one of those two reactions. And so we may we recommend every patient that comes in have an oncologist or multiple oncologist in their team or on their team because we want them to go to the oncologist and get information and feedback as to what they think, the Mm -hmm. oncologist thinks about the diagnosis and all the testing. And then we'll tell that we also will tell them our truth and what we feel we can do for them. And sometimes it conflicts 
And sometimes it's right on. Mm -hmm. Like I said, we'll use the conventional model at times if we really feel it needs a, a strong hitter. And then we'll always recommend pillar three and pillar four. We'll mm -hmm. always recommend let's boost the immune system simultaneously. And then we'll always look for the causes and clean up, you know, as Keneally says, the tsunami, the hurricane and the tornado that has been going on probably 10 years in the body to create these cells that have have uh, replicated out of control. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, and even in those instances when you guys are saying, you know what, maybe we do need to do some radiation and chemo, whatever it is, mm -hmm. it is still including the immune boosting exactly. and then the root cause. Exa so exactly right. We're always going to, because if we break down the pillars, right? Yes, the testing that they do conventionally, it's still relevant. Mm -hmm. We still want to have that testing. We're just going to add on to the testing to create more individuality, if you will. And then yes, if we have to go, uh, you know, they have to go with pillar number two and conventional chemo, we're always, always going to recommend three and four. We always want their, to, to get their immune system boosted and we always wanna work on the causes because pragmatically, it makes perfect sense. Mm -hmm. I, I don't know that I've ever told anybody that. I don't care if it's in here or outside of here. And they go, yeah, that doesn't make sense. Uh -huh. Right? They're like, oh, yeah, why don't they do that? <laughs> yeah. Those answers I don't have. I don't know why they don't. I just know that when we look at it and we go, oh, my goodness, they need this and this in order to increase. Remember, it's like I look at I look at everything like risk management, right? Mm -hmm. When, when you're looking at risk management for anything you do, right? I, we, we, you and I talk a lot about athletics and coaching and, and, and being the best athlete you can. There's always a plan. And if you've done the plan really, really well and researched it well, and then you really hammer the plan, a lot of times you're going to do well, right? Mm -hmm. But if you, if you haphazardly don't have a plan and you just wing it, then the outcomes are not as predictable, when we do the four pillar approach and we do it really, really well, it doesn't mean it's foolproof, but we've just increased your chances to heal significantly based on comparatively what they, what they generally do. There's a missing link. Mm -hmm. And we talked about it before. It's like the, the conventional model has this little like, okay, they're going to do this, this, and this, but there's a Pacific ocean worth of information that the patient needs to have to be able to increase their chance. So it's all about risk management, minimize your downside and maximize your upside with a plan that makes perfect sense. Mm -hmm. Right. I love the way you put that. So let's get into, I'm super excited to talk about three and four. Cause I sure. think again, that's the distinguishing um, pillars three and four, but yeah. let's just start by diving into a little bit more of pillar number one, yeah. advanced testing. Yeah. So, as you already mentioned, you're having the cancer patients do all the conventional testing, yes. the ultrasounds, the MRIs, whatever yep. it is. So we have that. But then what are some of the other tests that are really, really critical that you guys order here that helps you wrap your head around yeah. what's going on? No, great question. So we talked about the RGCC test. That's mm -hmm. the test that's sent to Greece. And I think that's one of the most relevant that we can do to, to again, individualize the care, get the chemo agents, get the natural agents, and, and then also test the circulating tumor cells. And I'll give you a quick with the circulating tumor cells, why it's so important. Somebody could come back after getting say conventional chemo as an example and radiation and all, and the doctors say you're cured. We do the RGCC and look just for the circulating tumor cells and they're still a little high. Mm -hmm. That means that there's little buggers are still working in your body. So then if we see that, 
we're going to put strategies together to knock that down to zero. Mm -hmm. Now we have a better chance to maximize your long-term healing. But if those, those, you know, rogue cancer cells are still circulating in the body, they have a chance to create a tumor again. Mm -hmm. So again, that RGCC, not just to get the chemo agents or the natural agents, but those circulating tumor cells, in my opinion, make sense. Mm -hmm. And I'll give a quick example. Have a, have a really close person in my life that had a small, very small five millimeter lump in her breast, right? It was cancerous. Mm -hmm. So they, they came up with a strategy that they said, if you do a lumpectomy and then, and then all the margins are clear, there's no lymph node involvement, and then do three weeks of targeted radiation, it's almost like 90 some, 98% effective over a five year term. That's, those are pretty good numbers. So that's what we talked about doing, mm -hmm. all right? Now, she's in the clinic now. That was late in the year, uh, last year. Now she's in the clinic getting hormone testing, getting the RGCC circulating tumor cell tested because we wanna see if there's anything still going on. Because if there is, conventionally they said everything's good. Mm -hmm. but, but this RGCC can give us another in-depth look beyond what they're doing to tell us if there is still some cells going on. Yeah, and I know this RGCC test specifically is something we could do an entire episode on. Sure, sure. <laughs> but just to help the listeners wrap their yeah. heads around it, first of all, it's just a blood test. Just you a blood draw test. a couple of vials of blood, so it's not like some no. crazy hard test nope. you have to do. Right. But what I love about it, just to recap, is basically you're sending it off to Greece. Mm -hmm. They're testing first of all for the number of circulating tumor cells. Yep. And then, correct me if I'm wrong, they're actually testing all of these different anti-cancer substances yeah, absolutely. to see which ones literally your cancer cells basically respond best to, that's which a, ones kill your cancer cells the best. That's exactly right. And they, they delivered in a percentage. So it's like, okay, this drug is this percentage, that drug is that percentage. Now, I will tell you, because I hear a lot of uh, patients come back and say, well, I talked to my oncologist about this. And they're like, I don't know anything about that test. And I don't, I don't know what the, I don't agree. Da, da, da. Here's the thing. The RGCC company, you know, the people, the scientists in the company say it's 83 to 85% accurate. Okay. So what I tell the patient, I go, well, go back and ask your doctor if they have anything else that they would recommend. Right? Because mm -hmm. if you're going to poo-poo something without the knowledge and the information, that's 83 to 85% effective. In my opinion, if you tell somebody that, you better have a better solution. They never have a better solution. Mm -hmm. So here's the thing. Remember risk management. All we're doing is trying to increase our chances to heal. And, and I tell everybody, that test I would do for myself, my best friend, my wife, my, my brother, sister, uncle, aunts, don't, doesn't matter. That test I would definitely do 100% of the time, at least the circulating tumor cells. If chemo is an option, I would definitely do the, the test that tells the sensitivity to those chemo agents, mm -hmm. right? And as well as the natural agents. Mm -hmm. So hopefully that, that just resonates. Like it, it may not be, nothing's foolproof, but it's going to increase my chances to heal. I'm going to do it. Even if that's 10%, right, 20%. I'm in. Mm -hmm. I'm doing it, right? Why not? It's a good plan. Mm -hmm. So anyway. No, I love it. So what other tests, kind of yeah. like, or maybe just standard things yeah. that you guys are looking into deeper? Yeah. So there's a, a, a test called Nagalase. Nagalase is an enzyme or a protein that's released by the cancer cell, mm -hmm. right? Or the tumor, tumor cell, cancer cell. And if it's increased, 
it's a defense mechanism by the cancer cell. It basically, nagalase that is, will reduce the macrophages in your body and prevent them from attacking your cancer cell. So it's like it's, a shield. It's a shield. Mm. That's exactly right. So if that's elevated, it would make good sense that we figure out how to reduce that. Now, ultimately, getting rid of the cancer cells is how you reduce nagalase. But in the in the meantime, while we're doing that, wouldn't it be a good idea to know it's high and have things to knock it down so our our, our own immune system can overcome that force shield? Mm -hmm. That makes sense. So when you learn that, you're like, yeah, I want to know that test. So nagalase is high. We have things like salicinium as a really good IV to help knock down nagalase. All right, so temporarily it's knocked down so your immune system can do what it needs to do. Mm -hmm. Well, if you don't know that and you don't understand that, then you're like, okay, and, and conventionally they're not looking at that, right? So that's a, that's a really good test. Um, PHI is another test where... If that's elevated, it tells us that your your cancer cells have gone into what they call anaerobic glycolysis, right? And that's meaning meaning they're in low oxygenated environments using sugar. We we kind of want to know that too, because mm -hmm. then we can do things to knock the PHI down to help the overall process. Oxygenating the environment is one of the main ways. So ozone mm -hmm. and hyperbaric. So these tests can there are remedies or modalities treatments designed when these tests are high to knock them down so our bodies can get back to doing what it's supposed to do again these cancer cells are i would call them highly evolved when you really get into it you're like oh my goodness like this is amazing it's it's amazing in a, in a bad way mm -hmm, you know mm -hmm. um d-dimer is another one so d-dimer is a coagulation factor that we look at but what it tells us is if the cancer cells are moving. Mm. So if we see, if we're not sure metastasis or something like that, D-dimer's elevated, you know, Keneally will say, it tells us that these things might be moving. So there's things that we can do, A, to bring it down. Like we use Neprinol, which is, uh, which is like aspirin, but a natural antifibrinogen um, where it, it breaks down fibrogen and it helps to reduce clotting. That's good because we don't want that those coagulation factors high, but ultimately it tells us something and it's also a measurable for the future, right? Mm -hmm. So if, if our treatment's working, nagalase should come down, PHI should come down, D-dimer should come down, but in the meantime, we have things to help bring them down so the body can do its job better, mm -hmm. right? And then there's these cancer antigens, like for breast cancer, 27, 29, 15, 3, uh, there, there, PSA is one for prostate, CEA. There's a bunch of these antigens. And really what they show is if they're elevated, we know it's a measurable that we can use in the future to help determine if we're moving in the right direction. So I just had a, a consult with a patient and he just had a PET scan in, in December and it showed some of his, a lot of his lesions are gone or are significantly reduced but there's one lesion on his spleen that has grown. So he's doing heavy ozone, heavy SCP, some of the modalities we hear, have here. And what we're gonna do is measure his ultrasound that he had before his PET scan mm. each month to make sure that he's doing enough. Mm -hmm. Because if he's not, we wanna know it as fast as possible so we can start getting more aggressive with it. He chose not to go IPT or chemo right now okay. uh, because his thought process is, we were able to knock down some of the other, you know, lesions and tumors. So he's like, I'm not sure what's going on here, but I feel like we can do it. All right. 
great, but we still want measurables. Mm -hmm. So I told him, we'll do these tests again and we'll do the ultrasound again. If they're looking good, we keep going. Mm -hmm. If they're not, we have to quickly redirect. Mm -hmm. does, does that make sense? Well, it makes yeah. so much sense too, because I remember when I was going through my whole breast cancer scare, basically they, they, the only way they're checking if it's cancer is to take a piece of it right. and check the cells. Right. But that's not able to tell me, is there something brewing somewhere else that's in my right. body? Did they get enough of the tissue to really test the cells properly? Right, right. And so First of all, if it's cancer, of course, I want to know. But even if it's not, I want to know if something's brewing. Yeah. Or if it is cancer, I want those other markers. Yes. So that, right, because we, we know, and I think we've talked about this before, once there's a physical tumor, mm -hmm. it has progressed and it has been building, building, building. So, Years. So I would like to know, right, let's say I go through the whole process. I have surgery, which I did, and mm -hmm. I didn't do chemo or anything. But let's say someone does go through that whole process. All they're going to come back and say is, great, there's no tumor That's anymore. Right. That's right. That's <laughs> and, it. And you guys are saying that is one pretty small piece of the puzzle. In fact, it's the last piece of the puzzle. Right. We want to know, great, you got all that out. Yeah. Now, are all the causes that that showed up going to be addressed that, too? That's 100% that's right. So to your point, it's kind of like if, if we had step, you know, I call it primary, secondary, tertiary, right? And, and upstream and downstream. So the last thing to happen is the cells replicate out of control and a tumor forms. That's the last thing, right? But that's dealt as the primary thing in the conventional model. Like, mm -hmm. oh, you have cancer, we're gonna, we're gonna kill the cancer. That's just a byproduct of a lot of bad stuff happening in the body. So if we don't address, you know, no offense to that, that statement, but if we don't address the bad stuff, that, that tumor's coming back mm -hmm. with a high degree of certainty. Yeah. A high degree of certainty. The analogy that just popped into my head, and there's so many we could use here, but it's like if the kitchen sink was left on and the floor is flooding with water and these conventional doctors are coming in like mopping, trying to mop up the water. Yeah. Mop it up, mop it up. We found a perfect solution to mop it up when it's like, how about we just turn off the faucet? Yeah, exactly. You know? And obviously there's it's more complex than just one thing, but that's kind no, it's of a, a great, really... It's a great analogy. It's a great analogy. And, and, and again, just for, for clarity, sometimes that conventional model is necessary. So, so I, I'm, I've learned over the years, whether it's for, I, you know, as an example, I have a patient, you know, that is, um, that has some depression, mm -hmm. right? And that depression is so bad, it prevents them from doing the natural things that I want them to do to get better. Mm -hmm. They physically can't do it because they can't, uh, you know, their brain's just not working well. So it's like, well, do I, do I have them see one of the doctors to prescribe some say Wellbutrin or something like that, you know, to, to help them get over that. Mm -hmm. Now they have the wherewithal because they have the chemistry set mm -hmm. with a Band-Aid mm -hmm. to start doing the natural stuff to get them well so then eventually they can get off of the, the medication, right. right? It's the same thing. Sometimes we need that, that conventional model to kick this thing because it's aggressive and so forth. But again, it's one part. If we understand that cancer is the end product, and that's a, I told you on this podcast, that's a key concept. Mm -hmm. If you understand it's not primary, it's just really a symptom of bigger things going on, then your brain will go, okay, now I have to figure out cause versus effect. The cancer is the effect. What caused it? Mm -hmm. is, it a, is it a dysregulated immune system? Is it a weakened immune system? Is it stress-related and causing all those things? Is it over, over inundation with 
toxins and infections and so forth, right? Mm -hmm. So a good concept that I, I read about that I, I believe, I actually adhere to this theory where they said, say, say a patient has prostate cancer. What they think is happening is there's either like a bacteria infection or a toxin in that area, or gosh, it could even be, uh, geez, a, a fungal, like a candida infection or something in that area. So the immune system has to say, okay, that's foreign, so I'm gonna attack it. If that's a prolonged attack, free radicals are going to occur. Mm. Then free radicals are gonna ca ca cause oxidative stress. Then oxidative stress is gonna cause that DNA to become damaged so those bad cells don't go through apoptosis or cell death and they replicate out of control. But it started potentially with a fungal, bacterial, toxin, mm. something like that. I read that not too long ago and I, I went, that makes sense to me. That makes perfect sense to me. Now, there are other factors that, that will cause that to spiral out of control, right? Mm -hmm. So say I have that going on and then I'm stressed. Well, now my immune system is significantly suppressed. So now I'm no longer fighting that battle well, which it could have been holding on mm -hmm. for years. Mm -hmm. I'm stressed, immune system suppressed, things go crazy. Which is so often right, I, I imagine you have so many patients who come in. It's it's like usually a major life event right. that triggers something. That triggers it. It yeah. was already there. Mm -hmm. It was already going. Your body was doing the best job it could. This is my opinion now mm -hmm. to keep it under wraps. You go through a major life event like that, some tragedy, some, you know, gosh, divorce. You go through financial situation. You go through something. And all of a sudden, we know what cortisol does to the immune system. It suppresses it significantly, which cortisol is the fight or flight hormone it changes the acidity and the alkalinity of the body. It changes hormones, it changes. Mm. So you're going through major changes that all of a sudden you were holding on to this thing and keeping it under wraps and it went poof because our metabolic system just basically disintegrated. Yeah, it became overwhelmed. It That's just exactly got to right. that overwhelm. Straw that broke the camel's mm -hmm. back. Never yeah. know what that is. You know, I, I always say, you ever, you're just sitting there maybe watching TV and all of a sudden you're like, yeah, my stomach doesn't feel well. What what was the what was no symptoms and nausea? What was that like two second interval that you're like, oh, my stomach feels weird, you know? Like I don't know that answer, but something happened in the body that just went over the edge and now all this stuff is going on. I, I really believe that sounds so relevant to me that there was some type of something already there. Mm. The immune system was fighting it, and then all of a sudden it created, I mean, that could be one aspect of mm -hmm. it, but I, I think that's relevant. So again, it's working upstream, yeah. right? It's working on step one, okay, what caused it? And then clean up step two, the free radicals, which cleans up the oxidative stress, what what stops the the DNA damage to the cell, Yeah. right? I, I love it. No, I love it. So we talked about some of the things we're testing for. Now, can you touch on some of the advanced treatments, some of the treatments we're doing here that most conventional offices, oncologists yeah. are not offering to their patients? Yeah, sure. So if we go back to pillar number two, for example, right, which is how do I attack this thing? There is a starve phase. Like if we're really going after cancer, we want to try to starve it potentially. Then we want to kill it. But we also want to oxygenate the tissue and then or the body mm -hmm. and then we also want to alkalize it because it's known that for the most part cancer cells thrive in a, in a low oxygen environment and an acidic environment 
So we want to change that, of course. That's where the ozones and the uh, hyperbaric oxygen chambers come in and making sure that we're doing things to alkalize the body, whether it's hydrogen waters or things like electrolytes, pH adjust we use, you know, different things to try to try to alkalize the, the, the uh, extracellular environment. Now, for clarity, intracellular pH can't change. Different, right? Seven yes. two to seven yeah, yeah. four, you have to stay in there or you die. Mm-hmm. We're not talking about intracellular because I hear that as an argument. We're talking about extracellular in the blood because that facilitates those cells to 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 thrive. Mm-hmm. So we want to make sure we're at least in an alkaline state, right? So I just figured I'd touch on yeah, that. Yeah, yeah, no, that's great. Now getting back to the uh, star phase, there are strategies out there. One book is called How to Starve Cancer. It's repurposed drugs. It's using things like metformin and fenbendazole and some of these others that basically biochemically can block the pathways that feed the cancer cell, whether it's glucose pathways or, or what have you. So there are repurposed drugs that can be used to block those pathways. That's starving it. Mm-hmm. Killing it goes then can be conventional chemo or radiation or whatever, or here we use low-dose chemo. Mm-hmm and it's called insulin potentiated therapy. So just briefly, we we infuse or inject insulin to bring the blood sugar down into therapeutic doses, say 40 to 50, roughly. Once it's down, then we take the chemo agents and, and infuse them into the body while the gl- glucose is down because glucose feeds cancer, right? right? So, so this cancer cells, to keep it as simple as possible, starve. And when they're starving, they're gonna take whatever you're giving it which is the chemo agents, again, from the RGCC that are more specific. Mm-hmm. And it's going to like a heat seeking missile. It goes right into the cancer cell or like a vacuum. The cancer cell sucks in this, the, the low dose chemo. So two things, we can use less of it, right? Meaning instead of 100%, we can go down to 10%, mm-hmm. which is less invasive to the body. Doesn't, doesn't necessarily, people don't lose hair. They don't get nauseated, things like that. So we could be more specific with the chemo agents. And when we do low dose chemo, we can basically target the cancer cells better without damaging the rest of the cells. Mm. Phenomenal, Mm -hmm. right? So that's another, to me, that's big. If I'm going through this, that's one of the first things, uh, if I needed chemo, that I would be doing. RGCC for sure, low dose chemo is going to be at the top of my list to figure out if I need that, Mm -hmm. right? Now, if I don't need it, then I'm going back to pillar three and four, and I'm just working on all those strategies to get my body to do what it's supposed to do. Mm-hmm. Our stage zero, stage ones can probably do that, right? But what my eyes have told me over the years, and I know there's a lot of books out there as far as healing cancer naturally and things like that. If you're in a later stage, like a stage three and four, I think that's hard, mm-hmm. right? I mean, that's what my eyes tell like me. Like maybe just diet alone or juicing right. alone. We're, we're going to have to probably hit it with something a little bit stronger, like a low-dose chemo mm-hmm. in conjunction with all those things. But my eyes just haven't told me that those strategies, I, I would say they're the exception. Like if I wanted to heal stage three or four naturally, probably the exception, not the rule. Mm. I'm a big fan of going with the rule, mm-hmm. right? Now, that doesn't mean if it's a slow-growing cancer, you could try to do it on an all-natural basis. But what I've seen over the last many years here is that somebody's going to need a little bit something stronger. So repurpose drugs, starve it. Something like IPT can kill it. There's immunotherapies that really get your immune system to do the job itself So um, and, and really heighten the immune response. 
that can be done. So these are just some of the, just mentioning, there's some of the things that are a little bit different than just killing the cancer cell. Mm -hmm. I know SEP is another one that I think is kind of pretty unique to the center. Okay, so SEP is kind of sound therapy that, that creates almost like a shock. It's sound that creates a shock wave, all right? So cancer cells basically have a reverse polarity. Mm-hmm. And so the SEP turns that cancer cell around and, re, and re, polarizes guess, it, repolarizes mm-hmm. it. Yeah. Now, here's the thing. When, it, when the cancer cell is in reverse polarity, basically your immune system doesn't recognize it. So it passes it by. When you switch the polarity, now you're getting the immune system to go, oh, that's not right. I'm going to attack it. So it enhances your immune system to attack the cell by reversing the polarity. Again, if we're looking at big picture and saying, hey, we wanna do SEP and we wanna do this and we wanna do that, we wanna put together a plan that is well-rounded and not unilateral, mm-hmm. right? It's, it's, a, it's a conglomeration of a bunch of different things that have a method to the madness, mm-hmm. right? Makes sense, right? And I think to your point, you were saying more difficult or more extreme or more advanced cancers just inherently will usually require a much more intensive approach. I'd say you're exactly right. I think if, uh, and I hate to use this term, but say if the cancer is not aggressive, we don't necessarily have to be aggressive. If the cancer is aggressive, we have to meet that aggressiveness with some aggressive approach, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. Are here, the low dose chemo is probably our most aggressive approach, but it's still less invasive than conventional chemo. Mm-hmm. If it's something, you know, and here's some people we're not 100% sure. So we do it about eight weeks and then we retest everything. And it's one of three things. It's either stabilized, it's gotten better, or it's gotten worse, mm-hmm. right? One of the three. But then we can, we can then weave and bob if we're, if we're measuring it consistently, then we know. Mm-hmm. So, and again, you're just, trying to, you're just trying to, with a lot of the testing, you're trying to maximize your upside especially with the RGCC where you're going, okay, these chemo agents are what could be best for me. And so we typically see some good response to it. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Something I'll say just for the listeners is we have podcasts and a lot of YouTube videos on these different tests and treatments. So definitely check the show notes because I will try and link as many of those as possible. I know we have a whole podcast episode with John on SEP. Yeah, for sure. So we have a ton of information on these. We're just kind of Oh, dabbing each of them we, on the head. We are. And then, and then listen, getting into like hyperthermia, right? Hyperthermia has been around for a long time. In, in say, Europe, they will use whole body. In, mm. in America, we can only use targeted. Mm. But still, increasing the temperature within that cancer cell has been shown research-wise to kill those, a lot of those cancer cells. So hyperthermia is really good. Endolaser, right? Different, mm. different uh, lighting lights which have different, I guess, objectives when they're uh, hooked up and, and basically it's a um, IV mm-hmm. and those lights go in and they do different things to the body. But one of the things, it's a photosynthesizer. So it makes the chemo agents work better, mm-hmm. right? So we, we use those, uh, we use the ozone a lot. We use the LED bed a lot. We use, you know, things like lymphatic drainage and detox um, strategies like the sauna, the infrared sauna and Epsom salt baths, you know, and clay baths and things like that. So there's a myriad of different, to your point, within pillar number two, things that can attack and help destroy the cancer cells. And these are just some of them that we're mentioning. Yeah, and it's a really um, 
interesting, almost like a Rubik's cube. You guys are trying to fit together based on what is the testing showing you need, exactly what fits right. within your budget, what do you have time to do? So many different things. So but, it's not like just a clear A equals B or no, whatever. Not cookie cutter yeah. whatsoever. So, uh, and that's what I think, you know, just pragmatically or, or logically, that's what everything. Mm-hmm. You're different than me. We could have the exact same cancer and have to treat it entirely different. Different, say we did IPT, different chemo agents, different blood sugar levels, you know, bringing it down to different things that would starve it, different things that would, it's just, it's it's very, um, you know, individualistic is the best way I could put it. And that is a such a unique approach yeah. compared to the conventional because I think it really is, correct me if I'm wrong, oh, you've got prostate cancer, here's the treatment for That's that. Right. That's right. That's exactly right. And then here, the, the thing that I love here is the number of resources, right? There's so many things that have been studied that, that again, method to the madness that we would we can use, right? For some, we'll, we'll go, okay, we can't do, like, nobody really can do it all, everything that we have here. So it's like, okay, priority-wise, mm-hmm. where's our priorities? What do we want to have the patient do that we think will give them the best outcome? To your point, based on all the testing that we've done, their history, things like that, mm-hmm. you know, and then certain things go up to the top as far as priority list. Mm-hmm. Now, I, I tell patients, think about this: if you're, if you're, if you're needing chemo or low dose chemo or something like that, if we're being honest, that's the top priority. We need to kill those cancer cells and slow them down, and start getting rid of the cells and the tumors. Right? We know that that's priority, but these other things whether it's the IVs, whether it's the hyperthermias or, or, or SCPs or, or what have you, they're going to enhance the ability of the body to kill those things. So you're giving it more and more juice mm-hmm. or, or pouring more, more like weed killer on it mm-hmm. to be able to kill it. Again, like my brain works in such a way of, okay, that plan makes sense to me. It maximizes the upside. And so... The whole idea going back, like I tell the story with my dad, I didn't have any of this information when he was going through. Now he, he passed away asbestos related cancer, but he also smoking, right? Mm-hmm. So it, the doctor was like, it's like gasoline and fire. And it was so advanced, there probably wasn't much looking back as, as I know now that we, I could have done, but I would have liked to try. Yeah. So all these strategies, I would have definitely gone down the road. And, and look, we talk about this downstairs. If we do all these great things and the patient feels good about the plan, I always say regardless of outcome, they're going to be at peace for right. the plan that they, they put in place. The family's going to be at peace. Our job is to just educate them as much as we can, whether it, they do that work here or they do it somewhere else. They follow a four-pillar approach that to me is very, very complete and doesn't leave many rocks unturned. And it's a hard pill to swallow, but it's kind of like, what is the alternative? The alternative is to say no, to choose a different option. And if, then you might be asking, what if? Whereas if you really do exhaust all resources, even if the outcome isn't what we were hoping, we can go, look, we threw There's everything peace. we humanly knew is possible to throw at this. That's exactly right. And so and I think to your point, that's the piece. That is the piece. And and I feel like when we downstairs with me uh, being the, the, the cancer center director, I guess, if you will, um, 
the systems that I'm putting in place and have put in place, the people that I put in those positions, the advocate positions, and you know, training, training everybody on this one concept of, and the systems, by the way, to make sure that when the patient's here, they know the I's are dotted and the T's are crossed, they don't have to worry. They know, they look at us and go, they're extremely empathetic people. They really want to help me. They care genuinely about me, but they have good systems and protocols in place to where the plan is going to be executed really well. Mm. Remember, nothing conventional, I don't care what it is, there's nothing foolproof with this cancer model, right? There's nothing foolproof. But if a patient can go to their oncologist and go to their different doctors and get their information and then come to us and get our information and we do a good job of just educating, I want them to pick a route. I don't care what route it is. I want them to do it based on great information and one that they feel at peace with because no matter what, they go, I've done my homework. I'm going to put this plan in place. No matter the outcome, I feel good about it. When you don't have the information or you haven't done your due diligence, there's always that what if, what if, what if. If you've done that, you get to whatever the end, you know, the end game is, you can look back and go, I, I crushed it. Mm-hmm. I'm telling you, that's the one thing my dad had so much regret mm-hmm. of not taking better care of himself and not doing this and not doing that. The regret was something that was more painful than anything. So this is like, the four pillars is a way to be able to create a plan that is really, really well thought out and complete. Mm-hmm. I'm not saying it's the most complete. I'm not saying it's just pretty darn good yeah. compared to a lot of other things out there in a clinic that has all the resources to support it or a lot of the resources to support it. Yeah. I don't know if we can do much better. You know, every day we're learning. So we're putting more things in place, but comparatively, it's pretty good, mm-hmm. you know? No, it's so good. So let's dive into pillars three and four. Sure. Immune boosting. And yeah. this is something, uh, again, that I think really sets us apart. Mm-hmm. And once you really understand why, you realize what a critical piece to the puzzle this is. But can you explain and touch on a little bit why these conventional cancer treatments, when you're doing those without any immune boosting, yeah. it's not a great recipe. Yeah, it, It's basically... One of the things that's going to happen as a byproduct of chemo, and is, which is why they do blood tests before your chemo every time, it's going to basically you know, knock down your white blood cell count, your platelet count. It's gonna really hammer your immune system. So when you're, when you're knocking, you know, trying to kill cancer, right, with the, with the conventional uh, chemo agents, you're knocking down your immune system, your body's just going down, 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 down. Mm-hmm then your ability to fight other stuff is going to be compromised, Mm -hmm. right? So although I understand benefit risk sometimes, I I, I totally get it. So so I I wanna be real clear about that. Sometimes it's just a necessity. However, there are things that we could do to make sure that we're counteracting that. In tandem with it. In tandem, yeah. And, And I think not doing it, I think, the system not teaching us that we have those options, that's where my contention comes in. It's just like with this virus. We talked about it before. Vitamin C, vitamin D, zinc, right? Quercetin, uh, you know, some of the other medications that a lot of doctors are using. Why not? Mm -hmm. Why aren't we talking about these things, right? So it's like they're doing this, but there's a Pacific Ocean of stuff that you should be at least told about 
so you can have the option as to whether or not you want to do it. When we're doing this conventional chemo, boosting your immune system, I think, like, why wouldn't you? Right. Right? Why wouldn't you? Something I think about sometimes is, first of all, so we've now done chemo, potentially radiation as well. We've killed a lot of good cells along yeah. with some bad, hopefully. Yep. We've seriously depleted the immune system. Yep. So if this individual has fungal infections, yes. has parasite infections, has bacterial, whatever, they're now almost going to take off and become even worse because we've just took a hit on the immune system. That's exactly right. So, so going back to cause versus effect, yes, we're killing off the cancer cells, but at what cost, mm -hmm. right? So again, okay, we need it. It's a, it's a necessary evil, I'll call it, right? But in the meantime, what about vitamin C and mistletoe IVs? What about these immune-boosting supplements like vitamin D and vitamin C and making sure we're getting on, you know, you know, even other IVs, there's there's so many of them that, that could be done in order to boost the immune system. Or, you know, supplement-wise, you know, your omegas and your quercetin and your turmerics and your resveratrols. And again, I mentioned Ds and, you know, short-chain fatty acids and like all these different things are going to help regulate your immune system better and strengthen it. And then it's also going to decrease some of the, like your curcumins and your resveratrols are going to reduce inflammatory cytokines that develop mm -hmm. that then dysregulate the immune system. So there are things that can be done strategically to offset the downside of the chemo. Mm -hmm. And again, I, I just, it's so, to me, it's such a simple concept. I just don't know why it's not done every day, all day long. You and know? I mean, really most of these immune boosting therapies are pretty low key like it's not some oh you gotta go here for no. 10 days and do this thing you know a lot of times it's supplementation it's some ivs like very yeah. very minimal risk if any uh, yeah you know so it is kind of like you're saying it's kind of a no-brainer it's a, it's it's an I, I just think it's a no-brainer i would recommend it as part of that four pillar approach and and again i you know i meet with the patients probably within a couple days of them coming here and when i really and let me back up. After they get out of the consult with the doctor, there's a lot going on. Right. There's a lot thrown at them. So my job, I'll use the, the example of landing the plane. Mm -hmm. Like there's some, it's up there, some turbulence. We're, we're trying to land it. I come in and boom, nice, easy, smooth landing. And when I talk about the four pillars and I go through each of the pillars, and then I could say, Dr. Keneally, for example, recommended this because it's in pillar number one. We have to test this and this. And then this will be in pillar number two and then pillar number three and four. Mm -hmm. It's an easy way to, to go, all right, your vitamin C, yes, it could help with the cancer, but really right now we want to boost the immune system. Mistletoe, we want to boost the immune system. Get those T cells working a little bit better. The attackers, right? Give salicinium so we reduce the nagali, so your immune system. So, so a lot of strategy is designed within pillar number three based on either the testing or based on general immune boosting and the supplements too mm -hmm. all those different supplements can be done we don't have to be on a million of them but just enough to where we we start you know like d is a critical one everybody should be on on you know five to ten thousand i use of d and then the turmerics and the resveratrols your good antioxidants if you remember the free radicals and then, and then vitamin C each day, sometimes glutathione, which is with cancer cells, we have to be careful, but there's other things that can be done to really daily boost the immune system and then give it a, a major punch with IVs. Mm -hmm. Yeah. 
So, okay, let's go to pillar four. And this yeah. is probably one of my favorite yeah, things to talk about me is because this is almost where like the detective part comes in. And exactly it's right. so fun when you start to piece the puzzle together. So let's talk about when we're talking about root cause, yep. what are some of the things you guys are looking for, testing for? Yeah. Yeah. So I think one of the concepts uh, that you'll hear and, and read about is the overload principle. We're just in our environment, food supply, uh, you know, just job and work and things like that. We're overloaded with stress. We're overloaded with toxins. We're overloaded with, with bad foods. We're, we're, we're less healthy than we've ever been because of we're not moving as much. You know, we're not exercising as much. We're not out in the sun. We're not out in the sun. I mean, you know, the list goes on and on. But it, it is pretty clear, like when you start to evaluate centurions, so there's demographics that, mm -hmm. that live, they call it the blue zones. Mm -hmm. Two things they found. Number one, they're very active. They move a lot. And number two, they eat for survival and basically use the land to feed themselves. It's a simple lifestyle, mm. right? And that's what they're finding. So a lot of movement and eating, not, not necessarily they're restricting calorie to restrict calorie, they're just eating to survive, mm -hmm. not indulgence, mm -hmm. right? So with those two things, it comes back to, hey, this diet and exercise, right? <laughs> yeah. So, so you, look, you, you look at something like that and you're like, okay, how can we mimic that? Put clean burning fuel into the body. Let's get better movement, right? And then you work down a list of, so that's diet, exercise. Gut health is going to be paramount. 70% of your immune barrier is in your gut. It's going to get tore up from the way we eat, our stress levels, right? Sympathetic response is one of the uh, responses that you get from stress, but really the gut is under rest and digest. So there's autonomic nervous system, mm -hmm. sympathetic, parasympathetic. If we're in constant sympathetic overload, the gut's going to break down, right? And then it's going to become faulty, and then you're going to create an environment for pathogens like pa parasites and, and candida and bacteria overgrowth and such, which is chronic inflammation right? Then you get leaky gut, like going into some detail there. But that that's a big part of it. The liver starts to work not as efficiently as it, it once did because it's overwhelmed. And now we have overburden of toxins. And those toxins which are supposed to be cleared out of our body start to not get cleared. And they do uh, damage because they're basically they're a foreign invader, right? So the toxic overload, um, infections, bacterial, Viral, Epstein-Barr is one that's in the literature a lot. Mm -hmm. uh, fungal infections like Candida or your mold infections, which are big these days, which create mycotoxins, right? Heavy metals, the, the hundred and, you know, gosh, there's a ton, but hundreds of non-metal toxins that are in our environment and in our uh, shampoos and conditioners mm -hmm. and creams and you name it. Those all could play a factor, not saying they do, but could. And then you get in again to the stress response and what that does and hormonal imbalances and blood sugar imbalances and exposure to electromagnetic fields. And we talk about something called epigenetics, which is gene expression, uh, which is a whole topic in and of itself. So if we're, if we're evaluating a patient, and this is where functional medicine comes in, we want to evaluate them as far as their metabolic dysfunction and do testing to find out step by step if they have these dysfunctions. And if they do, put them on a protocol to start cleaning this stuff up. And that in and of itself is going to clean up the free radical oxidative stress, damage to the DNA, and replication of that cell out of control. Mm -hmm. That's five steps upstream. Yeah. Four steps, whatever it might be. 
But that's the list in general. Um, you know, and of course there's sleep and water and the things that a lot of people know uh, that we want to focus heavily on. But that list is probably a really good, strong list of things that we want to look at. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's kind of two categories. There's the lifestyle factors, mm-hmm. which include the things like the sleep, the movement, the nutrition. Correct. And then there's sort of the pathogen pollutant That's factors right. or the stressors. That's right. So it's kind of twofold. It's one, how can we eliminate exposure or clear these things? Yep. And then two, how can we also just support the body in healing? So Exactly right. So just uh, to touch on that, so say we test somebody for heavy metals, right? We either, we have to clear them out because what they create is something called an antigen. An antigen is what the immune system thinks is a foreign invader. So like a virus is an antigen. Well, heavy metal could also be an antigen. A food can be an antigen. Uh, A non-metal toxin can be an antigen. Uh, candida could be an antigen, right? So these antigens are sitting in the body and the immune system is like, I got to attack that. Well, that's that chronic attack leads to elevated inflammatory cytokines, Mm -hmm. which then leads to immune dysregulation. And then when the immune system is dysregulated, that's a part of this whole process as well, along with the damage to the DNA. So yeah, so we'll do heavy metal testing. If that comes back, as an example, Mm -hmm. if that comes back that there's a lot of mercury and different things, then chelation can be done to clear them out. Then a retest is done. Okay, heavy metals, good. Non-metal toxins like glyphosates, as an example, really high in the body. All right, we do a a detox with them. Uh, Somebody has mycotoxins, which is the molds found in houses that have been exposed not only, but to high water content and then the black mold that established. So ochratoxin A is something that we look at that can create a major immune response that then again, if it's in the system and concentrated in a certain, say, breast tissue or prostate or something like that, now the immune system's setting up that response. So if it's there, then we have protocols, like Cellcore, for example, has a phenomenal protocol to clear out those non-metal toxins, mm. right? Or mycotoxins or what have you. So again, you can't fix what you don't find. But if you, if you anchor to the fact that something created this, right? then we can we can work together to figure out what all that could be and mm-hmm. it's usually not singular there's usually a, it's mo- usually multifactorial mm-hmm. uh, which is fine as long as we have a plan and work through strategically testing it and then clearing it out you're one step closer to healing and this is what i always come back to is that is so empowering for the patient versus oh you poor unlucky person you got cancer That's right you know yeah we don't know why it just happens you drew the short straw in life too bad you, i love it that's exactly right and, and one of the things that that i talk about when i had cancer now i had melanoma it was caught early it was cleaned up but i was i was 28 years old right and i'm thinking and the same year my dad died and his dad died a few years you know before that and and my brain is going all right maybe something's going on with uh, with the men in the family, I don't I don't know. I didn't know enough, but I but I do know that my brain started to go. Okay, what can I do better? But here's the thing: every little ache and pain, and uh, you know, like swollen lymph node, I was like, oh my gosh, is this is this something? You, everybody listening that has, knows what I'm talking about. But when I look back, if I had this plan. I would have slept a lot better. So for three or four years, every little thing, and then you mm-hmm. just time goes on, 
and you kind of forget about it and you think everything's good again. It's just the way it works. But I feel like if I had a plan like this, I would have slept easier within a month. Yeah. Knowing like, oh no, I'm hammering this and we're looking at this and we're doing that. It there's again, it comes back to peace. When you anchor to what you're doing, like a plan like this, the one thing that goes away or reduces dramatically is fear and anxiety. Mm. You it's very difficult to heal under sympathetic overload, fear and anxiety. So the plan, to your point, allows for people to go, oh man, I feel great about this. Mm-hmm. That's important. Yeah. That's important. It's a huge, huge piece of the puzzle. Well, I think we've just about exhausted this we've topic. Hammered Although it. Yeah. you and I, we could go back and forth we, all we, day we long. We could. We could. But thank you so much, Dr. Oh, yeah. Roni. I love it. I love it. Hope people, again, it's one of those things that our job now is to teach, teach, teach. Mm-hmm. And if we can affect, you know, if, if somebody anchors this that's listening, that's never heard it, and, and that's one more person, we can change the world. Just it's going to be one person at a time, you know? Mm-hmm. So we have the, the class too. The ongoing class is Wednesday nights at five. So the listeners, when you put this out, if they want to get on, they can call the clinic. We have a link that we'll send them. They can link, sign up, and then the link for the Zoom will come to them. I was just going to ask you about that because yeah. you were saying this this cancer class previously was only offered to our patients, but Correct. now you've opened it up. To everybody, anybody and everybody. And it's free. Now, right now, there's a 500 seat limit on the Zoom. Okay. Now, last week, first week, uh, we had on the 12th, we had almost 300 people and we barely did hardly any marketing to it. Okay. So I expect this week to be full. And then if it fills up, then we're going to have to open it up to a thousand. And I'm hoping that it just, there's a lot of people on here just listening and learning. Um, And it's all, it's going to be on everything we talked about, but 20 plus weeks of it. Yeah. Of breaking things down specifically one item at a time. That's amazing. I mean, that's such a powerful resource. And by the way, that's something that other people and rightfully so are charging hundreds of dollars to share this information. uh, Yeah, if not not more. Right. It's phenomenal that that is something you guys are offering for free. We kind of talked, I, you know, myself and Daryl, who's the who's the kind of the chief operating officer here, we kind of presented this and said, look, our job in a mission based practice, which our mission is you know, to, to help people as much as we can. The vision is to create, you know, a happy environment for the staff and, and a great systems and processes so that the patients get every I dotted and T crossed so it maximizes their healing. But the other part of this is teaching, right? It's hard for me one-on-one to make a great difference every day. You can only see so many people in a day. Mm-hmm. But if there's 10,000 people on a class mm-hmm. and we could teach that each week and every week, that's making a difference. That's that's adhering to our mission of trying to help as many people as we can, right? Mm-hmm. That's corny, I get it, but that's a cool thing. <laughs> like when you look back on life, I want to make sure I made a difference. Yeah. You know, and so uh, this is a I lo- the class is a great way for us to to achieve the mission. So so then let me make sure I yeah. understand really well. They how do they get the link to join? Do they is calling the only option or is there a link on the website somewhere? Yes, they can go. Good point. I'm glad you said that. So there, go to the website, the uh, Cancer Center for Healing website, and uh, there is a a link where you could sign up. And once you sign up, it will then send you 
automatically the link to the Zoom. Okay. Right? I'll try and find it and just add that direct be, link to the great. show notes. Yeah, that's the easiest way, gang. Yeah, calling. If, if hundreds of people start calling the <laughs> call center, they're going to they're gonna really hurt me. So so go to the website. I'm glad you, I'm glad you clarified. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Good. Okay, well, thank you again. Oh, yeah, I love it. <laughs>